Thank you for listening to our Celebration Sermon Podcast. Celebration is a worshiping community within Heart of White Ministries. We gather at 9 a.m. in the Red Brick Church Building on the Heart of White Campus on the corner of 160th and Lakewood in Holland, Michigan. We invite you to join us in person when you are able. To learn more about our Celebration community in Heart of White Ministries, please visit heartofwhite.com. Say so this morning, we are beginning a new sermon series this morning through Advent uh, titled The Christmas Story. A little note, uh, for those of you who follow very closely the liturgical calendar, you'll notice that today is actually Christ the King Sunday. Uh, but because Christmas is kind of a weekend experience for us, uh, we can't have the fourth Sunday of Advent being Christmas weekend because technically the fourth Sunday of Advent is Christmas Eve. And so we kind of bumped up Advent a little bit earlier. And so we're starting Advent today, uh, this morning. Uh, Christmas is one of those seasons that, that boasts a, a library of classic stories, a bunch of different stories that we cherish. Uh, I think of movies, right? From some of the classic movies like It's a Wonderful Life and White Christmas, A Christmas Carol, to some more recent favorites like Home Alone. Any fans? We watched it last night. Uh, Christmas Vacation, uh, the movie Alf, uh, or... A Christmas Story. Uh, But as wonderful as all of these stories may be, there's really only one story that matters. Can I get an amen there? And that is the Christmas story. The story, the events surrounding, the historical events surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ. And this this Advent series, we're going to be grounding ourselves in Luke's account of these moments leading to Christ's birth. Luke, the gospel writer, a historian, a theologian, a physician, uh, a Gentile traveling companion of the Apostle Paul, we believe, opens his retelling of the life of Jesus by sharing with a friend of his, Theophilus, which uh, in Greek literally just means lover of God, uh, his process and purpose. The first five or four verses of Luke's gospel, Luke is sharing his process and his purpose. His process of how he came to write this account, sharing that he's carefully investigated everything to offer an orderly account of Jesus' life so that, and here's his purpose, you may know the certain of the things you have been taught in Luke 1 verse 4. A beautiful introduction. And then Luke begins uh, what is the longest work in the New Testament, a two-volume work, Luke, and then he writes the book of Acts, the story of the early church. Unlike the other Gospels, Luke begins his account much earlier, and he retells the miraculous events surrounding not only the birth of Jesus, but also the birth of John the Baptist, and these accounts kind of run in parallel. It's, it's an incredible account of how God works in this world in unexpected ways, often through unexpecting people. And so let's step into Luke's account of uh, these, these events uh, in Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 5. If, if you're willing, if you're able, I'd invite you to stand as we hear God speak to us this morning through his word. Again, Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25 this morning. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very old. 
Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Join me in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for these words. Penned by the gospel author Luke, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, preserved by the Spirit, and Lord, received this morning by your Spirit. We thank you for these words which are, which are true, which are powerful, which are impactful. Lord, as we remember this account and this testimony of Zechariah and Elizabeth, Lord, may your Spirit speak into our lives to give us a word of encouragement and a word of hope. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. A few weeks ago, uh, I found myself, um, quite honestly, a a bit discouraged, kind of in a funk, if you will. And and I shared this in an email uh, that I wrote a few weeks ago to the Fusion community. Uh, But a series of of circumstances and situations that people I care about were going through were were just weighing heavily on my heart. Uh, Along with that, there was uncertainty in the world that continued to bombard my news feed. And and it just, honestly, it sent me on this kind of downward spiral of of discouragement, anxiety. And then suddenly I found some of my own fears and insecurities kind of rising within my own heart and mind. 
And all of this kind of compounded and, and led my thoughts and my feelings to kind of get away with me into the land of hypothetical what-ifs. Have you ever been there? <laughs> Kind of thinking about these hypothetical uh, fears and worries of the future that, that really aren't grounded in any kind of reality or reason, right? But your mind starts going there. Well, what if this happens? And, and maybe that means this. And, and wondering, well, am I, am I good enough for what I'm called to? Am I gifted enough? And all of these old insecurities and self-doubts slowly began to creep into my own heart. And what's strange is that any, any kind of third-party observer would say, well, like, would be like looking at my life and, and say, like, you know, things are pretty good for you, Pastor JB. And I would have to honestly say, yeah, I think you're right. You know, I, I think about, I reflect on our lives, and, and we love where God has placed us in this season. I mean, our church family, I've already expressed it, but is incredible. Our kids' school, It's amazing. The neighborhood God has called us to live in, we're a little biased, but we think it's the best neighborhood, right? Uh, life is, in many ways, really good. And there's so many things for us to be thankful for. And yet, a few weeks ago, I found myself sitting with my thoughts, struggling and discouraged, the enemy working overtime in my own heart and mind. And I guess the question is, have you ever been there? You don't, you don't have to raise your hand. But have you been there? On the surface, life seems great. Things are, seem to be going well, but, but there's, there's something beneath the surface that just quite honestly is a struggle. Maybe it's a sense of anxiety or depression. Maybe struggling with an addiction or, or an illness that maybe people don't know about. Maybe, maybe you're afraid of what would happen if people found out. Or maybe on the other side, you'd be in embarrassed if people found out because quite frankly the things you're struggling with in your mind you're like that's not that big of a deal why am I fretting over these things as we reflect on our own lives and those struggles that often are happening beneath the surface I think that begins to inch us a little bit closer to the experience of Zechariah and Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1 Luke opens his gospel account, this narrative, and, and much of what we hear about, about Zechariah and Elizabeth is, is them just living their ordinary life. And in many ways, their lives seem quite ordinary. <clears throat> and I don't mean that in a disparaging way at all. I, I think too often in our culture of individuality and expression, we're, we're expected to be extraordinary extraordinary and so like sometimes in our culture um, we're misguided but like the worst thing you can say about someone is that they're ordinary or normal uh, but I don't think that's true at all the reality is there's something beautiful and simple about what is ordinary particularly for this couple Zechariah and Elizabeth the ordinary is really characterized we read it as as faithful service faithful service we read that Zechariah was a priest in the division of Abijah, right? One of an estimated 8,000 priests, depending on your numbers. Different scholars, they have different numbers, but around 8,000 priests are serving at this particular time. Of those 8,000 priests, they're divided into 24 divisions of 300 each. This was established after the Babylonian captivity. Uh, Zechariah is serving as a priest, and Elizabeth, we're, we're told, is a descendant of Aaron, right? Kind of the original priest. And in fact, Elizabeth shares a name with Aaron's wife, right? 
We're told that they've been serving faithfully for a lifetime, right? Observing all the Lord's commands and decrees. This has been their lives for many, many, many years. Faithful service as a priestly family. Then we begin to read that at this moment, each of the divisions of the priests are called to serve in Jerusalem at the temple. So that's kind of the custom, right? And so each of these 24 divisions are called to serve for, for two one-week periods throughout the year. And of those 300 priests, 56 priests of that division are chosen by lot to serve each day. And one of the most honorable duties that one of these priests could be selected for by lot was to light incense in the holy place, one of, that, one of the, the second most inner room in the temple in Jerusalem. And finally, on this occasion, we are told that Zechariah's name is selected to perform this honorable duty of lighting the incense. In many ways, this was his moment, a moment of a lifetime, a lifetime of faithful service to the Lord, faithfully living into these ordinary duties of the priesthood are finally in some ways maybe perceived as being rewarded, right? A culmination of faithful service. Finally, he gets to light the incense. You can imagine how his heart just must be overflowing with gratitude and honor. The ordinary of faithful service. And yet there's verse 7. And I don't know about you, but you're, we're reading this, and, and verse 7 almost leaps off the page with a stinging and cruel irony that has followed this couple for their entire married life together. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. To long for the blessing of a child and to be unable to receive that gift is a heart-wrenching experience for any couple at any time. A path that many of us have endured and we lean into God's grace. But in the ancient Hebrew world, this would have only been exaggerated for Zechariah and Elizabeth. In many ways, in, in ancient Hebrew culture, their value and their worth, along with their hope for a future, were tied to their children. And so for them to have no children, in many ways, is to have no hope and to have no future. Elizabeth herself even calls her own barrenness a disgrace in verse 25. This was a reality, a hardship, a heartache that they constantly carried with themselves. In the ordinary, faithful, lifelong service of being a priestly family, and even on this occasion when Zechariah is finally selected to enter the holy place of the temple to light the incense, there was this harsh and cruel reality that they constantly carried with them. No children, no future. Again, just ask the question, have, have you been there? For each of us, that heartache or that struggle beneath the surface is different. It, it may be the longing for children or, or, or the longing for a spouse. It, it may also just be the longing for a different future or the deep pain of, of loss and grief that stings more painfully this time of year. In fact, you talk about ordinary. For some of us, we would, we would jump at the chance to experience what was once ordinary and normal in a heartbeat. 
For others of us, it might be things that we carry that no one or very few people know about. Fear about the future, insecurities about ourselves, feeling alone even when sitting in a crowded space. You faithfully go about your days and weeks in the ordinary work God has called you. And there's even good things along the way that you can celebrate and be grateful for. And yet, there is this thing, this reality, this struggle that's always there and always seems to find its way in. Praise be to God that Zechariah's story, Elizabeth's story, does not end here. And neither does our story. Because God breaks in with hope. Zechariah is is living into this crowning moment of his service as a priest, standing at the holy place in the temple to light the incense. And suddenly we read that in this moment, the angel of the Lord appears. And and Zechariah, understandably, is, is shook and startled and gripped with fear. And the angel says these words. They're on the screen. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth and then the angel continues to carry on with more words and we just wonder if Zechariah heard anything after those words that he just heard from the angel of the Lord hope for Zechariah and Elizabeth you can almost imagine Zechariah's mind just kind of shutting down after these words from Gabriel these words were too good to be true unbelievable a son his name will be John He already has a name. Of course, he'll be a joy and a delight to us and many others. But wait, Zechariah's mind continues to race. And and in a moment, the angel shares a word of hope, one that Zechariah can't even begin to fully process, much less believe, despite the fact that it's the angel of the Lord speaking this word. He cannot help but question the the physiological hurdles involved, right? We're old, right? We've never been able to conceive. What we find is that it's not simply a word of hope for for Zechariah and Elizabeth. It's also a word of hope for the world. The angel Gabriel continues this declaration of God's promises to Zechariah of a son who would serve as part of God's redemptive plan for the world. The angel continues, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will not, never be, he, he is never to take wine or other fermented drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This is an incredible word. Again, it's hard to know if Zechariah heard this part. After the promise of a son, he seems to be focused on that piece of this declaration based on his response. But Zechariah's son, the angel says, John will play a pivotal role in God's work to bring people back to God. This is not simply a word of hope for Zechariah and Elizabeth. It certainly is. But it's a word of hope for the people of Israel and beyond. And as we consider that, what what a powerful reminder to us this morning. A reminder of, of the kind of hope God offers to us. 
It is a hope that extends well beyond our personal struggles and circumstances. Yes, there's hope in those struggles. Yes, there's, there's hope in those circumstances. Yes, God often does bring healing and wholeness and redemption here on earth. And it also is a reminder that our ultimate hope is grounded in something so much bigger and deeper. It's grounded in God's redemptive work in the world through Jesus Christ. And that is what the angel Gabriel is directing our hearts toward, the good news of the gospel, which ultimately is where our hope is found. But after this word of hope, life life continues. Life continues after this word of hope, and we continue in our text, verses 18 through 24, this season of of waiting, a season of waiting. What I love about the Gospels, what I love about the Scriptures is how real and human these accounts are. Zechariah receives this absolutely life-changing, world-changing announcement from an angel in the holy place inside the temple, right? This is a pretty good source. Can we get an amen? (laughs) It's a pretty good source. And his initial response is, though, are you sure? <laughs> are, are you sure? He doubts this word of the angel, and this leads him to losing his ability to speak, which this, this loss of voice becomes a sign that something has happened to the people who are there, that he's received a vision. Zechariah then returns home, unable to speak, and then Elizabeth becomes pregnant, and she remains then in seclusion for five months. What we see here as the, as the account continues is after a word of hope, things get messy in the waiting. Because waiting is difficult and waiting is often messy. Think about this word hope. It's our word. We we light a candle of hope this morning. Hope fundamentally is rooted in a not yet realized future. Right? Hope is rooted in a future that we have not experienced yet. We hope for things we desire to come to pass. From trivial things, I, I, I hope for whatever it is, a national championship for U of M, whatever it is, right? Or hope in things that are far more consequential, right? Therefore, hope by its nature requires waiting. Because it has something to do about the future, hope requires waiting. And most of us understand that waiting is difficult and messy. Waiting leaves space for our doubts and our questions to arise or for us to get impatient, right? So we might, we might hope for certain sports outcomes, but then we wait and we have questions and we're wondering about the team, right? Or more consequential, more pressing matters, like where we hope that God will answer our prayers for healing, but then, but then we're waiting and the healing's not coming. Or we're waiting for, for a better future and we've interviewed for that job and we're hoping that we get that job that we interviewed that we thought went so well, but then, but then we're waiting for that phone call to come. And in the waiting, that's when the doubts, that's when the questions, that's when our own impatience begins to percolate and rise up within us. For Zechariah and Elizabeth, they enter this season of waiting for Zechariah in silence, right? Literally silence. And for Elizabeth in seclusion. And in silence and seclusion, were there moments of just hoping that this was all true, that it is as good as the angel said? See, friends, I'm not sure what struggle, fear, or anxiety we might be carrying beneath the surface this morning. My guess is there's just as many of those as there are people in this space. For many of us, everything seems ordinary, but for many of us, I'm guessing there's something that we're desperate for God to change in our life. 
for God's hope to break into our today and our reality today. Maybe it's something very specific you're waiting on God for. And the hard reality is that as we wait for God to move in our everyday life, most of the time, Almost all the time, we don't have a a, a direct word. We don't have an angel appearing to us and saying, what you're hoping for is going to happen, and it's going to happen soon. Most of us, have you ever experienced an angel appear? Most of us, no, right? And the reality is, when we wait, it's hard. And this morning, I just want to acknowledge that it is hard. And that you're not alone. And you're waiting. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you also in this. That although many of the good things we hope and long for in this life are, are not guaranteed from the trivial things like our sports teams winning it all to, to, to more consequential things like, like a job or a marriage or children or healing of illness, the, those things aren't guaranteed in this life. But the deeper promises of God's work God's redemption in this world, the good news of the gospel, absolutely are guaranteed to come to pass. Christ has come 2,000 years ago, and we await that one day Christ will come again. That we can be assured of. Amen? That is the gospel good news. And here's where I think Elizabeth's words ground us in this deeper truth and hope. Elizabeth says this, The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. What God has done for us in Jesus Christ is absolutely, without a doubt, guaranteed. You need to know this morning that God loves you, that Christ has died for you, that Christ rose from the grave to redeem you from whatever hopelessness we might experience in this life and assures us of a life that will never end in Jesus Christ. This is the good news of the gospel. And again, during Advent, we remember that just as God's people waited for Christ's first arrival, we also await Jesus' second coming and understand he will come again and he will make all things new. We can be assured of this. And even in the waiting, the Spirit gives us these little reminders of hope that is true and that is sure. See, friends, a few weeks ago when I was feeling down and discouraged, overwhelmed by my own unfounded fears and insecurities and doubts about the future, there is this moment that the Holy Spirit spoke quietly and yet profoundly into my heart. I was journaling in my living room. Uh, For those of who have young kids, you can maybe relate, but I'm journaling in my living room during that kind of six and a half minutes of maybe quiet, but not really quiet, but six and a half minutes of time that I might have uh, to spend a little bit of time in prayer before shuffling the kids off to school. And I'm, and I'm journaling to God, just journaling my, my, my worries and my concerns and my insecurities and my anxieties. And suddenly, as I'm journaling, in just these few mom- minutes, the Holy Spirit whispers a word into my heart, saying, saying JB, like, In all your anxious ideas and and imaginations and and concerns and pictures of the future, there's a key component in all of your worries and anxieties that's missing from your imagined future. He said, 
The missing component is, is me. It's the Spirit speaking to me. The missing component is, is the presence of Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit. And the realization that the Spirit gave to me was that any, any anxiety or worrying about the future or all these what-ifs that I play in my mind, almost all the time whenever I imagine that future, it is a future that does not include the presence of Jesus Christ or the power of the Spirit. And the Spirit convicted me that, that, that any, any imagined future that doesn't take into account Christ's presence and the power of the Spirit is a future that will never come to pass. We might not know what tomorrow holds, but what we do know with all certainty as Christ followers is that Jesus is there with us in that unknown future. Amen? And so that, my friends, gives us great hope. Hope for today and hope for tomorrow. That we have a future, and it's a future with Jesus. That gives us hope. Let's pray together. Will you join me? Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this testimony of, of God, how you were at work in, in, in Zechariah and Elizabeth's life. And how, Lord, in a moment you, you broke in in a profound way by sending an angel to speak a word of hope to Zechariah and to Elizabeth. And Lord, we, we thank you for what this moment foreshadowed, that, 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 you're, that moments later, Lord God, you would step in and you would break in in a profound and miraculous way in sending your son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus, you would, you would live a life. You would show us what it means to, to live a life that, that brings glory to God. And then, Jesus, you would die on a cross and you would rise from the grave. And, and through this gift, Lord, you would give us a hope for the future. And you send your, your, your Holy Spirit, Lord, to be that presence and that hope and, and to whisper that word of hope. Lord, in this moment we pray, God, for those of us who are struggling with something beneath the surface, Lord, Spirit, would you speak a word of hope to remind us that you are with us no matter what we face. And Lord, give us the courage to share that thing, whatever it is with someone that we can trust, so that, Lord, we might experience your grace and your encouragement and your support in real and tangible ways through the hands and feet of Jesus, which is the church. And in all these things, Lord, may our eyes continue to be on this future, that one day, Lord Jesus, you will come again, and you will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more crying or mourning or death, but you will make all things new. Lord, this is our hope. We thank you for this assurance that we've received in Jesus' name. And we pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening. To learn how to get involved in our celebration community or how to support Hardawike Ministries, please visit us at hardawike.com.